Welcome to this edition of Code Talk, the concise podcast to help you get to know the National Electrical Code. I'm your host, Frank Seiler, based in Spokane, Washington, and today's episode is Article 240, Transformer Overcurrent Protection. So for this episode, it's probably best that we lay out a sequence of events, kind of a game plan to tackle this topic. We have to do it without the use of visuals, so I'm going to try to describe what I would scribble on the whiteboard if I was giving this lecture in person. So here are the topics we'll discuss in the order that we're going to present them in. First of all, transformer basics, the rules for current and voltage ratios, because without these, the rest of the transformer rules in Article 240 and the feeder tap rules don't really make any sense. And Article 450 as well, Table 450.3 in the Transformer article, would be hard to get a grasp on. So, Transformer Basics. How do they work? Well, they're capable of either increasing or decreasing the voltage and current levels of their supply without modifying the frequency of the current. If we have 60 Hz in, 60 Hz comes out the other end, but it's going to be in a ratio that will either boost the voltage up or buck it down, and correspondingly, we will also get a change in current. If we discount the losses, and all transformers have losses, but if we discount the losses, the total power in, the total volt amps in, should equal the total volt amps out on the transformer. So we see that electrical power is being transferred from one winding to another via a magnetically coupled circuit. So a single-phase transformer consists of just two electrical coils of wire, one called the primary winding and another one called the secondary winding. And we'll use this terminology because that's how the NEC works with the, this terminology. There are other ways to describe them based on the position in a circuit. But for now, the primary side we'll describe as the side that usually takes power from a supply, such as the utility and the secondary as the side that usually delivers power to the load. On the customer side, the primary is usually the side with the higher voltage. A common use might be the utility transformer that sits outside of your house, sitting there in the lawn, converting 4,160 volts to something that's much more usable to you and I, 12240. Or perhaps you're in a commercial building, and your building is fed with a 480-volt, 277-Y-connected service. Now, that's great for large loads and for lighting loads, but it really sucks when you need to plug in your iPad. So you might have a step-down transformer on every floor that supplies 12208-volt power for the general-purpose receptacle loads. Now, these primary and secondary coils are not in electrical contact with each other. Instead, they're wrapped around a common closed magnetic iron circuit called the core. This soft iron core is not solid, but it's made up of individual sheets or laminations that are connected together, and this helps reduce core losses, heating effects, and also mitigates vibration. The two coil windings are electrically isolated from each other, but are magnetically linked through this common core, and allows electrical power to be transferred from one coil to the other. 
When an electric current is passed through the primary winding, a magnetic field is developed which induces a voltage into the secondary winding. And if a complete circuit is attached to the secondary, a current will be produced and it will circulate between the secondary winding and the connected load. Now the difference in voltage between the primary and the secondary windings is achieved by changing the number of turns or windings in the primary versus the secondary coil. Quite often in the literature you'll see these abbreviated as NP and NS. Number of turns primary, number of turns secondary. And a transformer is a linear device, meaning that the ratio between the number of turns of the primary coil divided by the number of turns of the secondary coil can be used to calculate the transformer values of both current and voltage. This ratio is often labeled as the turns ratio and it's expressed in primary versus secondary. So the turns ratio compares the two windings in order and it's written with a colon in between so it might read 3 colon 1 or 3 to 1 and this means in this particular example that if there are three volts on the primary winding there will be one volt on the secondary winding. Three volts to one volt, three to one. And we can see that if the ratio between the number of turns changes the resulting voltages must also change by the same ratio. So then it could be said that transformers are all about ratios. The ratio of the primary to the secondary, the ratio of the input to the output voltage. And the turns ratio of any given transformer will be the same as its voltage ratio. In other words, for a transformer, turns ratio equals voltage ratio. The actual number of turns of wire on any winding is not really that important, just the turns ratio. And for practical purposes, in the NEC, the turns ratio is the same as the voltage ratio. As an example, the pad mount transformer on your front lawn with a primary voltage of 4,160 volts and a secondary voltage of 240. It has a turns ratio of 17 and a third, 17.33 to 1. So for every 17 and a third turns of a primary winding, there will be one turn of wire around the secondary winding. Now for the flip side. The current ratio is the inverse of the turns ratio. Going back to the previous transformer, for every 17.3 amps delivered on the secondary side, the load side, the primary or utility side only has to carry one ampere. This is why the distribution via high voltages is how the electrical grid is able to deliver large amounts of power on relatively small conductors. At the final distribution point though, the high voltage is transformed back to household voltage with the high currents needed to drive these devices. Now, as a side note, the transfer of energy in a transformer is not without losses. But the NEC generally ignores the losses in how it calculates overcurrent protection. It builds enough of a buffer in it. It is strictly based on turns and voltage ratios. So how can we effectively protect an electrical system where there is no direct electrical connection between the primary and secondary of the transformer windings. Well, the first reference that we have is in Article 240 and 240.4F, Transformer Secondary Conductors. And we'll pull apart the information that's given here. That's a long paragraph. 
but just the first sentence gives us an idea of where we can use this particular rule. Here we read single phase other than two wire and multi phase other than delta to delta three wire transformer secondary conductors shall not be considered to be protected by the primary overcurrent protective device. Hmm. So basically it says most transformers that we're going to run across, the primary device is not going to adequately protect the system. Generally, the overcurrent device cannot protect through the transformer. Remember that overcurrent is short circuit, ground fault, and overload protection all rolled into one. And this is difficult to achieve effectively if the circuits are just magnetically coupled. So why are two-wire single-phase and three-wire delta-to-delta connections singled out here? Well, one reason might be that neither of them have a neutral connection in the system. There may be a grounded conductor, but it is not a midpoint in the system. So the other factor that we see is that typically these systems are going to be balanced all the way across the, the phases, all across the windings. So it's easier to protect with a single device through the transformer. However, most transformers don't fit that bill. Now, those that do, two-wire single phase and three-wire delta-to-delta, what are the permissions for these? It says, conductors supplied by the secondary side of a single-phase transformer having a two-wire single-phase voltage secondary or three-phase delta-to-delta connected transformer having a three-wire or single-voltage secondary shall be permitted to be protected by overcurrent protection provided on the primary or supply side of the transformer provided this protection is in accordance with 450.3 and does not exceed the value determined by multiplying the secondary conductor opacity by the secondary to primary transformer voltage ratio. Okay, so here we have a table reference and a formula. And again, this particular rule applies to single-phase transformers without a neutral on the secondary or three-phase delta-to-delta connections without a neutral. To be able to work this out, let's set up the following option. Let's think about this particular diagram. You've got a single-phase transformer, and you have a primary and a secondary side. On the secondary side, you have a 12-ampere load. It is single-phase, 120-volt, and it's going to be drawing 12 amperes. On the primary side, we have 480 volts. So 480 to 120 volts. The transformer ratio, the voltage ratio is 4 to 1, which means that the current ratio is the inverse. It's 1 to 4. So the 12 ampere secondary current becomes 3 amperes on the primary side. And again, the NEC ignores the inefficiencies and losses and instead hides them in the table multipliers. So the reference table here is table 450.3. And you'll find that there's an A and a B part to this table. A is for primaries over 1,000 volts. And B is for primaries 1,000 volts or less. Our example is 480 volts. So we need to be in the B part of this table. And looking at it, you see two rows. The top row, primary only protection. And the second row, primary and secondary protection. We are using the top row, primary only protection. And then in that section, you will see that there are three columns. And these columns are determined 
Uh, the one that we choose is determined by the amount of current that we see on the primary. The first column is currents of 9 amps or more. The next one, currents less than 9 amps. And the third one, currents less than 2 amps. So in our scenario, we've got a primary current of 3 amps, so we fit into the middle one. It is less than 9 and it's more than 2. And then it gives a value here. It says 167%. And there's no additional notes with that 167%. So what do we do with that 167%? We size our primary overcurrent device not to exceed our primary current, 3 amps, times 1.67, or 167%. And it gives us just a hair over 5 amps, 5.01. So a 5 ampere fuse or branch circuit rated breaker would be appropriate to be used here. Now, a quick item to note is that there is no roundup rule for the second or third column in this table if the calculation does not fall on a regular fuse or breaker size. So even though we exceeded the 5 amps in the calculation, we can't round it up to a 6 amp fuse because there is no automatic roundup rule. All right, back to Article 240 and the transformer feeder taps that are in 240.21. Now let's review some of these basic rules that apply to taps. And if you missed the previous episode and tap rules are not perfectly clear to you, you might want to go back and listen to episode 20. As with feeder taps, you can't use the next size up overcurrent protective device rule that we have for general applications in 240.4b. We can't use it for any transformer secondary conductors. Under normal installations, if our load is met, yet our conductor is not rated for the nearest overcurrent device size, we're allowed to round up. But we can't do that with taps, and we can't use the same rule for overcurrent devices on the secondaries of transformers. Why is that? Well, we'd be removing ourselves too far from the limits of protection. We're already going to be protecting it with a larger device than we would normally use. And so to then use a, a, a rule that allows us to round up even more just wouldn't make any sense. The physics would work against us here. So as with feeder taps, the sizing of that transformer secondary conductor depends on its length and location, or you might say its length and application. So what are our options? And yes, we have options. I will try to put these online in a flowchart to make it a little bit easier to visualize. But for transformer secondaries, we have five possibilities. Option number one is that the secondary conductors are from a feeder-tapped transformer. Option number two is outside secondary conductors. Option number three, secondary conductors not over 10 feet. Option four, secondary conductors between 10 and 25 feet long. And then option five is there only for industrial installations. Therefore, secondary conductors 10 to 25 feet long. So which is the correct or best option? Sometimes more than one applies, or we could make it work with more than one. But one easy way to decide which is our co most cost-effective solution is this. The first question to ask, is the transformer outside? If it is, choose option number two because we have outside secondary conductors. This is going to be the most liberal option. If it's not outside, we ask the question, 
are the secondary conductors under 10 feet long? Or are they between 10 and 25 feet long? That leads us into option number three or option number four. However, if it is an industrial installation, go directly to option number five. So if it's none of these, we also have to ask, is the transformer supplied by a feeder tap? In other words, is the primary side already a tap? Is the primary not fully protected? If that's the case, we choose option number one. So option number one is entitled secondary conductors from a feeder tapped transformer. And it's just a reference. It sends us back to 240.21b3. And we have to apply 240.21b3 if we have a tap supplied transformer. What it states is that because the primary is also a tap, the total conductors, primary plus secondary, are considered taps. The length, primary plus secondary, may be up to 25 feet long. And then we've got some conditions that we need to comply with. So option one has five conditions. The first one being that the conductor supplying the primary of a transformer have an opacity of at least one-third of the rating of the overcurrent device that protects the feeder they are tapped from. Now that shouldn't be a surprise. That looks very much like the 25-foot tap rule. Condition number two, the conductor supplied by the secondary of the transformer shall have an opacity that is not less than the value of primary to secondary voltage ratio multiplied by one-third of the rating of the overcurrent device protecting the feeder conductors. And so translating it through the transformer, the transformer ratio still has to be such that if we were to take the current from the primary and convert it to the secondary, that that one-third ratio or better is still kept. The total length of one primary plus one secondary conductor, excluding any portion of the primary conductor that is protected at its opacity, is not over 25 feet. So the tap at the primary side and all of the secondary conductor has to be counted, and it shall be less than 25 feet. Also, both primary and secondary conductors have to be protected from physical damage. That's the fourth item. And number five, the secondary conductors must terminate in a single circuit breaker or a set of fuses that limits the current load. And it also gives a reference to 310.14. So what is option number two? Option number two was outside secondary conductors. I mentioned before that this is the most liberal option. If you remember, outside feeder taps could go any length, and we just had to protect against overload at the end of the run before it entered another building. And so it's very similar to outside secondary conductors for transformers. Outside secondary conductors can be of unlimited length without overcurrent protection at the point they receive their supply if they are, one, suitably protected from physical damage, two, terminate at a single circuit breaker or a single set of fuses, and also the overcurrent protective device for the ungrounded conductors must be an integral part of the disconnecting means or located immediately adjacent to it. And the disconnecting means must be located at a readily accessible location near the point of entrance of the conductors where it enters a structure. Option number three, Secondary conductors not over 10 feet long. And so here we want to compare it to the 10-foot rule that we have for normal taps. We can install secondary conductors up to 10 feet in length without overcurrent protection at the point they receive their supply. 
if they have an opacity not less than the calculated load and not less than the rating of the device supplied by the secondary conductors or the overcurrent protection at the termination of the secondary conductors and our secondary conductors are no less than one-tenth the rating of the overcurrent protective device protecting the primary of the transformer multiplied by the primary to secondary transformer ratio. Also, the secondary conductors must not extend beyond the switchboard, panel board, disconnecting means, or control devices that they supply. They have to be enclosed in a raceway. Overcurrent protection is not required on the secondary side of a transformer to protect the secondary conductors, but overcurrent protection is required for branch circuit panel boards. So this overcurrent protective device must be on the secondary side of the transformer, and typically it's within the panel board. It doesn't have to be, but that's usually where it is. There's an informational note under 240.21C23, and here we get a reference to 408.36 for the overcurrent protection requirements of panel boards. And generally, the overcurrent protection must be integral to it or adjacent to it and may not exceed the rating of the panel board. Option number four, secondary conductors between 10 and 25 feet long. And this is going to be very similar to the 10-foot tap rule, except our ratio is going to be a little different. So if we have secondary conductors up to 25 feet long without overcurrent protection, they must have an opacity at least the value of the primary to secondary voltage ratio multiplied by one-third of the rating of the overcurrent protective device that protects the primary side. They must terminate in a single circuit breaker or a set of fuses, rated no more than the secondary conductor opacity, and they must be protected from physical damage. Usually that's going to be within a raceway. Option number five is the industrial installations. So in an industrial installation for taps that are between 10 and 25 feet long, we can install secondary conductors up to 25 feet in length without overcurrent protection at the point of supply if the opacity of the secondary conductors is at least the value of the secondary current rating of the transformer and the sum of the ratings of the secondary overcurrent protective devices don't exceed the opacity of the secondary conductors. So there doesn't have to be a single overcurrent device here. The secondary overcurrent devices are grouped and the secondary conductors are protected from physical damage. And so there's a lessening of the rules here for the 25-foot tap rule if it is an industrial installation. Well, very good. Those are some of the various options that the NEC presents for supplying current to transformers and protecting them and their conductors in a fashion that gives protection to both the transformer and the load adequately. In some cases, the whole system is protected by a single overcurrent device. And that works okay for low inrush currents and systems that don't require a neutral. However, in many cases, we split primary and secondary protection apart, in which case the primary protection provides short circuit and ground fault protection for the transformer, and overload protection is being supplied on the secondary side or at the end of the secondary tap. Let's take one more look at table 450.3b, though. And we'll reserve the A table, which is for over a thousand volt installations for another time. This time, let's just strictly look at the B portion of the table. 
Again, the B portion of the table has primaries 1,000 volts or less. And for most of us, that's going to be our application. In particular, I want to point out a couple of the notes that are part of the table and the caution to only apply the notes to the references where they actually appear. Sometimes we think the notes apply to the whole table, and they do not. For example, looking at the top row, primary protection only, we see that the 125% value in the 9 ampere or greater column has a note 1 attached to it. This note allows us to round up the overcurrent protective device to the next standard breaker or fuse size. But it does not apply to the next two columns. You cannot round up unless your multiplier is 125%. Any of the other values don't have a roundup rule for the breaker. Note 2 applies to all instances where the secondary protection is used. It limits secondary protection to no more than six overcurrent devices. And we also have to be mindful of panel board overcurrent protection rules in 408.36. Note 3 applies to all instances where we wish to use the values in the table given for the primary overcurrent device sizing where both primary and secondary protection is employed. Now the table gives us 250% here, but instead of using the 250% value of the table, a transformer that is equipped with coordinated thermal overload protection by the manufacturer and is arranged to interrupt the primary current shall be permitted to have primary overcurrent protection rated or set at a current value that is not more than six times, 600%, the rated current of the transformer but then there's some caveats. The transformer has to have uh, not more than 6% impedance. If it has more than 6% but less than 10%, then we're allowed to go four times the rated current of the transformer, or 400%. Again, the same rules apply. They would have to have coordinated thermal overload protection by the manufacturer. So the table value of 250% may turn into 600 or 400% respectively if it is supplied with coordinated thermal overload protection by the manufacturer. That leads us to a question. What does the percent impedance of a transformer represent? How is it measured and used? Well, those are questions to be answered in another episode. Hopefully this gave a good overview of the different rules that apply to transformer overcurrent protection. We have to be mindful of what part we're protecting and if we're protecting the entire system at the beginning or for splitting up the protection between primary and secondary sides. So thank you so much for listening to this rather long edition of Code Talk. A lot of information here. Please try to find the uh, lecture notes. I'm going to put them up in the next couple of days along with some examples and a bit of a flowchart to navigate your way through this important section of the codebook. Until next time, this is your host, Frank Seiler, signing off from Spokane, Washington.